that is you know super disruptive and and really really changes people's lives and for the better or just is really fun or you know it doesn't have to like be like a life-saving thing it's just like it's disruptive it's new it's a completely new way of doing things i love that experience i love that fast growth and so it, it really pairs well with the viral marketing but but yeah that's what was so interesting about color run was it was such a simple idea, but it came in again. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show today to have my friend back on the show, Jay Davis. Jay, thanks for doing this. Hey, how's it going? So in past episodes, we've talked a lot about your business creatively, which is doing better than ever. And I think we should talk about especially kind of like the venture studio stuff you guys are doing. Yeah. But kind of the rocket ship success since you were on the show last is what's happened at your new company. Can you tell us about Pillow Cube? Yeah. So uh, Pillow Cube was actually spun out of creatively. It was about two years ago. We started, I'd had this idea since I was a kid that I'd always just hated pillows. And as a side sleeper, they just never worked for me. And so I'd always had this idea that my friend's mom told me about, which was Asian pillow boxes and was like, oh, I wish I had one of those. And then about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I started talking to the idea and how we could do it. And it just kind of simmered for a long time and we kind of kept coming back to it. And then two years ago, we were had kind of like a down week where we just didn't have anything going on. And I was like, dude, let's just do the Kickstarter right now. So in one week, we kind of threw it together and launched it and it just kind of took off. And overall, like kind of just was the thing we all worked on in kind of our spare time. Like we didn't start shipping product until December of 2019. And it was great. Like it was this great little business that we were like, oh, this is cool. This is really fun. And then it just kept growing and it was always like going up. And then we launched a new product and we're like, oh, this is pretty fun. Last year, it just kind of took off. Like it just kind of started going crazy. People really loved the product. It really resonated with people's pains around sleeping, especially side sleeping, that we'd made a pillow that, that, looked normal enough that you actually wanted on your bed. You know, it wasn't like this crazy contraption, but at the same time it was made for side sleepers. So yeah, it's just really taken off. Um, and people have probably seen it on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. If you're on there, not a lot of people who haven't been hit by some of our ads, but yeah, it's just been a really fun journey. It's been fun to get back to kind of developing products and doing, doing that kind of stuff. So, well, you know, it's interesting <clears throat> It's interesting how often simple answers end up being so great, you know, like yeah. high density foam that's thick enough between your head and the bed that you can sleep on your side without having a sore shoulder, right? My, yeah. I, I typically cannot keep mine on my bed because my teenagers steal it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, that's kind of the common feedback that we get is we even made a commercial about how it's like the greatest pillow you'll ever, or it's the last pillow you'll ever buy until someone takes it. Cause people just constantly like, Oh I, yeah, I loved it. But then my kids took it or, which is great. Like we love the fact that it's 
uh, a pillow for a very specific group and, and really made to kind of create this love group that just obsesses over. But it is funny, as we were talking through the idea originally, you know, I'd, I'd kind of created this prototype out of some foam samples that was just like 15 by 15 by six. And I was like sharing it with people. I made like a little cover for it. And I'd like give it to friends and be like, hey, try this out. And then they like wouldn't want to give it back to me. Um, <laughs> but it was funny that the as we did that, like everyone kept trying to be like, wow, we got it's like too simple. Like we got to add this stuff. Like, like what if it like unfolded and did all this stuff? And it was funny that just we kept coming back to this. Like, I know it's simple, but it's like the most elegant solution. And so we kind of did that very typical, there's that Steve Jobs quote about how like, you know, you it becomes really, really complex and then you have to push it back to simplicity. And in that process, we did do things like one of the things we noticed was, you know, memory foam gets hot. And so we did some things to counteract that and some proprietary foam so that it really sleeps cool and regulates your temperature so that it's not hot. We did some things with the shell and the, and the pillowcase just to make it a really great experience. And then how we package and ship it, it ships in like this really tiny box. And so it's really fun because you open this box and like a pillow comes out. And so there was a lot more complexity than it might seem, but that was on purpose. But it's so true, like, you know, the natural, you know, the natural product development process was everyone wanted to like push it. Like, what if, well, let's make it for everyone. Like, you know, my wife doesn't like it. Well, I don't care if your wife doesn't like it. Maybe she's not the, our customer, you know? Well, you know, why don't we add this? And people would give me tips. And, oh, what if you made it a lot thinner? Because then it would appeal to more people. It's like, yeah, but that's what pillows already are. So it was really, it was been a really fun process to see kind of what happens when you really hold to that. Like, I know it's a simple idea, but it's the best solution for, for people. Yeah. Well, so without... I'm like trying to figure out how to not overshare here. Okay. So for people who, for people who are listening to this and thinking like, so he's got a, he's got a cute little pillow company. Can you, can you give people some, like some sort of scope of like, yeah, that's what it was the first year. And then the second year when it became multiples of multiples of that, can, can you talk, like give people some sort of sense of like that it's, it's become many times the size in a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's been amazing. We now have about 65 employees. You know, we're we're one of like this was kind of like a fun little fact, but Bed Bath and Beyond called us and said, "Hey, you know, we don't sell your pillow, but your Pillow Cube is the third highest search thing on our entire website." <laughs> uh, and we don't sell your products. So maybe we should start selling your products. And so and, and then same thing with Amazon. We just launched on Amazon and we had you know, this, this stock at Amazon for prime. And, and they called us up uh, a couple of weeks after we launched and we're like, cause they sold out almost instantaneously. It was like all gone in five minutes. And then we had to go to like merchant fulfilled. Cause we didn't have enough at Amazon's headquarters. They're like, that's the fastest we've ever sold out of anything. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers. So it's been really fun to just see that people are really kind of adopting. And then and then we're continuing to innovate. Like we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming out because we realized like there's there's this whole group portion of the sleep experience that's basically just ignored. Like all almost all the innovation is around beds, mattresses. 
there's so much innovation around mattresses. And then every once in a while, you'll get something, come, some kind of sleep accessory. But, the, but I mean, these are like the crucial parts of how we sleep, like sheets and, you know, what, you know, comfort or blanket or whatever you put over yourself. Like, these are like the core things to how we sleep. And yet almost no innovation is done there. So it's been really fun to see kind of that scale and that that scale gives us the opportunity to try really funny things. We launched a kid's pillow, which is really, really fun and people love. And I did the same test. I gave it to a bunch of kids and had them come in and, oh, which one do you like? And they chose it. And then, you know, at the end of the thing, I was like, okay, give it back. And they all cried and and I kept it anyways. <laughs> I was like, get used to it, kids. Life is a disappointment. Now get out of here. <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been really Your fun. compassion's inspiring. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about some of the elements. And, you know, I think about, I don't know how many hours of conversations we've had over the yeah. past however many years. Yeah. Can you talk about, let's give people just like the quickest background of from the, the race business through the couple of things that led up to you having the skill set you have to be able to do that so quick. Yeah, so I started my career in product development for a company here in Utah called Vivint. And then after Vivint, I left and helped start a company called The Color Run, which was like a 5K with colored power. And that that was where I first kind of got into viral marketing and using viral videos to, to grow and build a brand. And then after that, I started a YouTube channel with a friend. We did a bunch of viral projects. Our biggest one was resurrecting Fruit Ninja, the game for Hatbrick Studios out of Australia. And we kind of brought that game back to the top of the App Store in like two days and kept it there for a long time. So let's back up there. Color Run. Yeah. How how big were they when you joined? When I joined, I think we did. I, I mean, I literally joined like, this, the month after the month after they'd started selling tickets. I mean, it was really, really early. Yeah. So there were at the time there, there were like kind of three of us, essentially, there was like some, some part-time hourly people, but there were three of us who were kind of the original three full-time salaried guy who kind of helped build the team, build the company and build the team with the founder. So and how long till it hit the peak valuation? I mean, we got some pretty big offers, like in six months, like nine figure offers to buy it within the first six months. So yeah, it just went crazy. I mean, it was just growth like I've never seen in a company before, you know? Yeah. So it was nuts. It was really nuts. Yeah, no kidding. To me, though, I think about this experience because we've talked about it over the years. I think about that as like, where you're like, hey guys, maybe we should do videos. Maybe we should do videos to sell us stuff. And kind of got a little bit of pushback. And then they let you do yeah. it anyways. And like, like it was like pre-drones. You're like renting helicopters and making stuff, right? And yeah. and you see that just go from, you know, thousands to millions in months, right? Yeah. yeah. Like millions and millions. It's almost like I think about that experience for you. And to me, it feels like, and I want you to correct me here. But it feels like it was like this, like, it's like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where it's like, this is possible. Yeah. And it's like, you couldn't yeah. unsee that. And so yeah. the whole rest of your career was like building on it. Yeah, that's really, and that really was the case. Like, as that happened, I realized that, you know, and this is where I'm always trying to be careful, because I, 
I don't want people to think this is the only way to grow a business. It's just the way I really like to grow businesses is like, I love the speed. Like when you have a product that is, you know, super disruptive and, and really, really changes people's lives and for the better, or just is really fun or, you know, it doesn't have to like be like a life-saving thing. It's just like, it's disruptive. It's new. It's a completely new way of doing things. I love that experience. I love that fast growth. And so it, it really pairs well with the viral marketing, but, but yeah, that's what was so interesting about color run was it was such a simple idea, but it came in again to just totally disrupt this industry. Everything at the time was, you know, mud runs and endurance races and these super, super, super long events and rock and roll marathon. And it was, it was for the same people. And it was really interesting that like, as we grew, a lot of those companies were like, ah, oh, you're bringing all these non-runners into the industry. And it's like, you guys are idiots. Like, that's amazing. Like that's allowing you guys to do even bigger numbers because 95% of people who are, you know, some like 93, 90, like 90 plus percent of people who went into the color run, their first color run was the first 5k they'd ever run in their life. And so it introduced all these people who who were like, oh, I would never do a 5k, but now all of a sudden they had a reason to and a motivation to. And so it, it really like expanded that whole market and brought a ton of people into the event space. And so I love that. I love looking for products that are like, oh, this is just an entirely new way of doing things. What's fun though is like, is you get to have so much fun doing it. Like, like the, yeah. these videos where they're throwing this like, you know, crazy fluorescent powder at each other. And it just looks like, it doesn't really look like a run. Like, you know, I grew up going to track yeah. meets. My brother and my best friend went to university on track scholarships. So that means our teenage years, I was at their track meets a bunch, right? Mostly for the cute girls, but we can leave that later. Yeah, your videos don't look like track meets. Your videos look like a giant yeah. party. Like it's like a daytime rave or something is what it reminds me more of, right? Yeah. And then you get millions of views yeah. for these videos. People all join with their friends. I mean, I think about your Fruit Ninja videos. What, 31 million views or something, right? And I don't even know how many. It, I just looked it up. It's crazy. Uh, oh, okay. It's fun. It's fun. It's yeah. it's novel. It attaches to something they've already seen. Okay. Do you remember the conference at Slick where we first met? I remember coming and finding you after your speech because you like hit on like so many of like the Jonah Burger contagious things and like the, yeah. you know, like we want attachment to something we already know, but we want the novelty and like the emotional, yeah. the emotional rush of yeah. something new, right? Like. How many of us knew about Fruit Ninja, hadn't thought about it in years and years? And it's like yeah. that funny novel thing that you wish you could have done as a kid, if you're a teenage boy at least, of <laughs> chopping yeah. real fruit with a real samurai sword. And it's and then it's so funny that we all passed it around to a bunch of people. And then when we met, I was like, oh, you yeah. did that, right? Yeah. So and I look at – It's also really interesting because like the other thing that was – that I think was really powerful about it was – no one had taken this, no one had created videos where they were taking, you know, like a video game and turning it into like a real life situation. Like I've met so many people over the years who were like, oh, you know, I did the the God of War thing with Kate Upton. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And I'll tell them about like, you know, I was I was one of the people that, you know, me and the, this other guy named Scott Wynn came up with the Fruit Ninja video. And he was like, that was the first video I ever saw that did, that kind of took a video game and took it into real life. And so it's just really interesting 
that like that in itself was a disruption of like no one's doing this thing and this is like a really fun way and and you know we kind of just like fell into it we weren't thinking oh here's a new way to disrupt you know viral videos but it was always trying to do something that was unexpected that was new and then wasn't it like you know the video was like not even ranked on the apple store before and then it like shot way up or what, what was that story yeah like Free Ninja, the, the game was like super, super low. Like it was like almost to a thousand. And then the next, you know, two days after the video launches, it was at number one and stayed there for like over six months. And, you know, at the time being number one on the app store for a paid game was, you know, for six months was tens and tens of millions of dollars. And so it really kind of just like brought this whole thing back. And so that's where I really just started to realize, like, oh, there's this aspect of viral uh, virality and video and product and marketing that can kind of all come together. And that's what's, like, so interesting about PillowCube is it's, like, for so many years I was doing that for others, even creatively, you know, we, we still do that for other companies. But PillowCube was kind of like, why don't we actually make the product, too? And so it's kind of merging that, like, product development that I did early in my career with, like, the viral marketing, like, well, why don't I do both of those things and and then actually own the company rather than just doing it for someone else? So, Yeah, it sounds so simple when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, it took me 12 years to figure it out. But So let's talk about this. You know, you've got this, I mean, I think about how many product entrepreneurs I've met just being over at your office for all these Creatively clients, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of folks with a great product that are making some good money. Maybe they're making like single digit millions a month or something, right? Yeah. And then there's very few that their second year can can have the kind of growth that you had, right? Yeah. What yeah. do you attribute that to? So I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, creatively philosophies that was like, you know, it creatively were for for high growth, hyper growth companies, we're always looking for something that's very disruptive and that a broad swath of America needs or wants. And so I think when you combine those two things, it's like, hey, this is a whole new way of doing things. And it's actually solving a pain that's very common. You know, there's a lot of disruptive products that are very specific to like, you know, someone who has, you know, some ailment. And it's like, that's awesome. But a lot of times it's a very niche product or, you know, people are going after like, you know, extreme travelers. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But we always look for things that have those like we like disrupting the way of doing things, but we like doing it for problems that are very broad problems. They're not they're not like super niche, super specific. And so by doing those two things, I think that's where the hyper growth comes. And then there's certain things we do in the way we market it to, to kind of fan that fire and make it go even faster. So when you think about, so obviously you and I've had a lot of conversations about the five D's over time for your philosophy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Will you tell, will you just list those off really quick for people? The five D's. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the five D's that we look for, for hyper growth companies, we look for someone who's disruptive, that their product is disruptive. We look for something that is democratic. It's, it's a broad need. You know, everyone either knows someone who needs, needs it or, or someone they know, either they need it or they know someone who needs it. That's the way we say it. It's third, it's demonstrable so we can visually show how it works. And that's kind of on us. 
for how we market it. We want to show like, here's the, the benefits and that can work for software. It can work for hard, uh, good soft, but it's just kind of that reminder of like, people want to be shown how it's going to change their life. It needs to be deliverable. So very easy to purchase, very easy to get access to, you know, it's amazing how many times people make it, make it tough to buy something. So even when we look at like, make sure it's the right price point, don't make it cheap. Um, make it the right price. And then also things like, you know, don't give people 3000 options every time kind of the general rule we look at is every time you add more options, you have to realize there's a drop in conversion. And so if it's a making the product that much better then yes, but I'm just amazed how many entrepreneurs it's like, you know, they're adding all these options. It's like, I don't think anyone cares. And then the last one is you need dollars for distribution. You have to spend money to get it in front of people. Things just don't go organically viral anymore. Facebook doesn't let them. So, yeah, and, and YouTube, Google, all those platforms—they've stopped the viral, the organic viral explosion. So, so my question is this: You've taught those five Ds to me and lots of other people and your clients and yeah, and all sorts of folks. And you know, I don't want to like call anybody out, but I know some of your former creatively clients from your agency who've been like, well, it's not that hard. We'll just do it ourselves. And then I see what they do and it just misses the mark. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, they don't get those results. They don't, they don't do what you did for them. They're not able to duplicate it. Yeah. I mean, some of that has got to be that they're first timers. They're not, they're not doing it based on 12 years of repetitions and, you know, yeah. millions of dollars of, of experiments. Yeah. But what else, what else do you think that, what else do people miss? Like, because they try to do the same thing as you. And, and obviously there's other people who make, you know, it's funny when I, when I am trying to like send you a referral or something, I'm like, okay, it's like a five minute infomercial, except that it's so funny. You watch it on purpose and send it to all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But like, what else do you think people who supposedly know the elements why can't they bake the cake the same? I think there's a lot of reasons. And I think that's what's been really good about Pillow Cube is that we've been able to kind of like prove that like no co no client or company has ever adopted Creatively's methodology as fully as Pillow Cube. And it's by far grown faster than anyone we've ever worked. And, and I think that that comes down to buying into that methodology and really embracing that methodology of like, from the color run, from these other experiences, we lo I learned and, and we've learned creatively, like, here's what works and what doesn't. And so I think there's a lot of reasons. I think one of them is, and this is something I tell people all the time, like, PillCube will never have an in-house. It's kind of the trend now. People, you know, Verizon is bringing their ad agency in-house. And I think that's just a stupid idea. I think the problem with it is that you need an agency client relationship to do great work. You need, it's really hard to do the best work when, when your boss, you know, you're a creative team and then you have this boss who can say no, because as an agency, I can go to them and say, look, you're, you're, you know, we had this just recently with a client and they agreed. It was like, Hey, you guys are kind of killing the script. You're killing the creativity because you're so worried about not offending someone or not, not like making someone mad that you're like ruining all of the best parts of this and making it as, as as disruptive okay. as it could be. And so you got to stop and you can't do that in house. You can't go to your boss and be like, you're screwing this up, dude. Like he'll fire you. And so 
you know, it, it just like, I think that's a key thing is people try to not use agencies to save money. And they're like, well, we'll just hire someone. And it's like, you're not going to be able to hire someone who has my expertise. They're just not out there. And if they are, they're not going to work for you for very long. Like we've had maybe one client in history who had someone in-house that we were like, dude, that guy gets it. And he was there a very short time because he realized like what he's worth. I can do this on my own. Yeah. You know, as you say that, I think about this, even though like the majority of my week these days is over at graystokeinvestments.com trying to uh, get people to come by the quarterly income from us, right? Get some passive income people. Yeah. Um, I think about the years running our consulting firm and all the, you know, thousands of hours of, you know, CEO strategy advisory or executive coaching. And I can for sure say I would not have said things to clients. I would not have said things to CEOs if they were my boss. Yeah. Be- but because because I'm the CEO of our consulting firm and and I don't, like my whole future doesn't depend on you. Like sometimes yeah. I can just kind of like tell you the truth a little bit more or like yeah. I, I'm not tempted to self-edit as much. Yep. You know, the, it, it is this kind of, even though they are the client and you want to make them happy and you want to get, be the, like, give them great service. There's also this power dynamic that's slightly different when it's like, yeah, you are one of our clients. You are not, yeah. you know, when somebody's your boss, they are your client <laughs> in a way. Right. I'd never thought about it like that, but you saying it like that, yeah. like I can see how saying something like that comes across as self-serving at first. Like, oh, you people, you have to have agencies. Yeah. I happen to own one. Right. Yeah. But then. When I really dig into what you're saying, it's interesting to like that certain level of autonomy, that certain level of like, it's not really peer to peer conversation, but in many ways, it's much more peer to peer than any of your employees will ever have with you. Right. I think about my advisors, my coaches and advisors, and they're kind of like, they're, they're much more willing to like give it to me straight than any of my employees ever have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a key thing that like, I mean, you know, we're, we're, it's been good to see that like, you know, kind of like you were saying it is self-serving, but, but at the same time, like we're now living it like pillow cube is not bringing these people in house. We're, we're keeping creatively separate and it's good to have those, you know, there's times where creatively now says to me, like, yeah, I know you want to do that, but that's the wrong like, here's where we disagree. And, and those are good conversations to have. Like, it's good to say to a client, like, I know you think that that's what you want to do, but here, like you hired me as an expert. So if you're not going to trust me as an expert, then just don't trust me and just fire me. And being in that position is like the best thing. Cause it's like, look, I have other work to do. I can go do other stuff. Now, I think that that's not to say you have no employees because I have employees at, at Pillow Cube, but it's realizing that it's like, hey, there's some some relationships where you need to have that peer-to-peer. And I think advertising and creative is is one of those because you need people who can say, hey, I, you, you've given me your goals. Now, let me figure out how to – another Steve Jobs quote is like, we don't, he said, we don't hire smart people at Apple to tell them what – to do we hire smart people at apple to tell us what to do but i think so many times where where i'd almost you know push on that a little bit is like but sometimes that's really hard and i think apple probably did a great job of creating that culture where it was like you know people could push back and people could disagree and i noticed that that a lot of 
a lot of really successful people, they want you to push back. They, they like the debate, you know? And I think that's what's something that's really hard to learn is that like, they want you to say, Hey, I disagree. And here's, and, and I think that's something that, that is much easier to learn, or at least it's been easier for me to learn doing that from like the agency side. I learned how to say to clients and CEOs, like, Hey, I disagree with you. And, and here's why. And honestly, those are good conversations to have. Like they, it, it brings us like closer as a working relationship of we start to understand each other and they respect you. Cause it's like, Hey, if I have to lose this work, I'll lose it, but I'm not doing this work just to, to like check a box. Like I'm doing this cause my reputation's on the line of whether this is going to work. And if it's not going to work, I'm just not going to do it. And, and we have just awesome clients. Like even this client recently, they were like, you're hundred percent right. Like we got to fix it. We got to go, got to go back and we got to start over a little bit because we can't have this fail. And, and what's amazing is as you do that, like that respect, it's like, oh, you really care about my business. Like you're willing to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in work just over the fact that you're like, no, I won't do it if it's not going to be great. And if, if it's not like, I'm not going to do a project I know will fail. Like I know this will not drive results for your business. And so I think that's, what's really great. So I think that's one thing that, that people really need to think about is like, where do I need to have some like client agency relationships so that they keep me honest or advisor relationships so that they can push back on me. And then, and then also how do I create a culture in house where people can say like, Hey, I don't, I don't think that's the way we should go. You know, at, at Pillowcube, like we have pushback. Like people will say like, Hey, I don't, you know, here's another option. Here's another thing that I think we need to consider as we're developing this product or, you know, we're doing this marketing. So, you know, so we like to cut these episodes in half lately. So it's probably a good place to end for part one, maybe to finish just cause you've got this like great color coded bookshelf behind you. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that's my wife. <laughs> They got big, big props to my wife for the, the color-coded bookshelf. So I know that most of our conversations involve many book titles. Yeah. I want to I push you on this one. When you, think of, when you think of a top book for becoming more of a, a digital business, a digital high-growth business, what's, what, what's probably a top pick for you title-wise for that mentality? Ooh. That's a good, I almost feel like I need to go look. That's a good question. There's so many good books. Yeah. Right now, I mean, you're the one that got me onto the High Growth Handbook. And I'm I'm loving that one. That one's, that one's great. Kind of two others that come to mind. One that is probably way out of left field, but I'll explain. But one is Range. I love Range. I think the, the author does a great job of explaining why it's great to have breadth. Like when I look at going into pillows, you know, I never thought I would own a bedding company and never had any plan to, but not being in the space has freed us to approach it in a completely unique and different way because we aren't held down by all the like, well, this is how you do it. Like even when we started PillowCube, people were like, well, that's a dumb idea because, you know, pillowcases aren't made that way. So you're going to have to make your own pillowcases. And I was like, great. I'll be the only person who makes my own pillowcases. So no, you can't buy pillowcases for a pillow cube from anyone but me. Like, why is that a bad thing? 
But they were like, wow, it's such a pain in the butt. And it's like, no, that's not. That's a great revenue stream. Business aspect. Yeah. So range, I think, is great because it just really helps explain that, like, you want to try a lot of different stuff. We love finding people at Creatively and Pillow Cube who, you know, have expertise, but they also had, they have interest in a lot of different things. Like our head of production at, at Creatively started as our editor and cameraman. And then he ran our post-production team and then ran our production team. And like in his career, he started an agency doing ad buying. So he kind of like understands how you edit commercials to improve performance but like he also understands how to how to film and shoot and make visually something great. So he's like a great example. Like we have writers who used to be, you know, in film, we have writers who used to be business people. And so I think that that breadth is really great. Then the other one I was going to say is the coddling of the American. I've been reading that one recently and it's just so great. And I think it just reminds me that like so much of innovation and entrepreneurship is about like embracing ideas that you don't want to hear, you know, like embracing truths that you don't want to accept. And so that's just been a good reminder for me of, I think like so many people, when we, when we talk to them, it's kind of like one of the things we do with creatively is when people say they want to work with us, our very first step is like, well, we have to try your product. Like we'll buy it. Like we have to try the product. And we've had people even recently who it's like hey like we tried it we just don't like it like we gave it to 50 people and like they don't like the the flavor and it's like well i think it's great okay well 50 people we tested didn't and you know or it's like hey we looked at some of your reviews and like there's some of these challenges now every business has challenges there's people who don't love pillow cube but there's a group that loves it and that it's perfect for. And so that's, that's another thing that I think just like this idea of like the first great untruth that they talk about in that book is like any, the untruth of what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, but like avoid painful. And I always am in the opposite, like embrace the uncomfortable, embrace the hard feedback. And that's really how we innovate at Pillow Cube. It's like, we launched this initial pillow and people were like, Oh, I really like it, but I, it's not wide enough. And I feel like I'm sleeping on a cliff. And so I was like, Oh, well, we can fix that. Now we could have just said, you're wrong. This is the only way to sleep, but we didn't. And so it really kind of helped us develop that. Okay. I just put it in my cart on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love range. I love okay. Such a good book. Everybody tune back in for part two. I got a whole bunch more questions for Jay. Bye everyone.